I could easily just stare at the ceiling till you're done, but that would not be the Christian thing to do. <laughs> Hi, welcome back to that showbiz baby. Here is the interview with Michaela. As promised, it is very interesting and very illuminating, and we hope that you guys think so too. We want to hear how you feel or what you think about what Nikayla shares with us today. Reach out to us at showbizbabypodcast at gmail.com or slide into our DMs on Instagram at showbizpod. Thanks again for listening. There are a lot of verses in the Bible about sexual purity and what it means for Christians. All the verses are written for a specific people in a specific context. And I knew that in order to detangle what the Bible is actually saying about sexual purity, sex before marriage, all of that, and kind of the difference between what the Bible actually says and what we were actually taught in the church growing up. We need to have an expert. So we have an expert. Her name is Nikayla. And she's joining us today. Welcome, Nikayla. So, Nikayla is the lead pastor at Awaken. She's one of Megan's absolute favorite people, and she is unparalleled in her knowledge about the Bible and particularly the Old Testament. She also serves as a seasonal instructor at Alberta Bible College teaching biblical theology. She and her family live in Bonesse with their pet dog, chickens, and their goose named Hilda. Hilda is terrible. <laughs> she teaches workshops and seminars at churches around southern Alberta and especially enjoys teaching on gender inclusion and the book of Acts. Welcome! Hey. Welcome, <laughs> This is so fun. So we first see sexual purity referenced in Leviticus. Can you tell us a bit about, like, why Why is it in there? Why did they <laughs> why put it do that? Oh, it's such a funny topic because, like, once you start unpacking it, you realize, like, the issues are so deep and there's so many layers. And it's like you can't even pick, like, one verse out and be like, okay, don't do this thing. And it's like, okay, we have to. There's just so much baggage in it. So it's a hard conversation to kind of arrange. So in the book of Leviticus, uh, there's all these, like, purity rules uh, and laws. And there's moral purity. There's, like, ritual purity, ceremonial purity. So let's sort of, like, say in some cultures, maybe it's like you can't go to the temple or participate in the ceremony while you're menstruating okay. but like the fact that you're menstruating is not because you're impure there could be different cultural understandings around what your menstruation means and so if in say our culture in our dominant western culture we have a very low view of the female body mm-hmm. and so all things that female body does is disgusting yeah <laughs> so then because well obviously you don't go to the temple when you're menstruating because menstruation is disgusting and the temple is is it for more like, like goodness god knew i could be too powerful if like, i was menstruating so totally in some cultures it could be like oh the fact that you're menstruating means that your body is in ceremony and your body is doing a very powerful sacred thing and so so you don't need to go to the temple. You can if you want, but everybody who's not going through that ceremony your body is going through right now needs to continue to go there because they don't have access to this like super cool thing that you do. Oh. What? Like, wouldn't that change it? Or that like, would change so much. Like you are, and, and then other cultures would have a sense of like, when a female's menstruating, she's very powerful and it makes yeah. the men at the temple unable to connect spiritually because the power of the female is so strong like there's all sorts of different ways of understanding it Mm -hmm. so before you can even say like well why does this book of the bible have rules about say menstruation first we have to figure out what does our culture already think about menstruation and then realize the people the culture behind this text probably didn't see it that way so I understand menstruation probably isn't the sexual purity starting point, but um, oh, an example. <laughs> in Leviticus 18 is the main place where there's this list of 
sexual rules. And they're basically like, they're, they're written in the second person. So you shall not do this to these people or these people or these people or these people. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of questions you have to ask before you start interpreting those texts. Like, who's the you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> who's being spoken to? Yeah. It's not the wives and the children. Nope. It's, most people can't read and most people aren't able to even go to the space where this law would be discussed. So it's like the elite, like land-owning patriarchs. They're the oh, you. I hate landowners. Right <laughs> <laughs> and then you have to ask, like, so the different groups of people say it says, um, you shall not uncover the nakedness. I'll talk about that term in a second. Um, of your father's sister. You're like, okay, do not see your aunt naked. Would yeah. be one way. <laughs> do not have sex with your aunt. Yeah. But, like, when you go back to, like, who the you is, it's like, okay, so he's the person in power. Yeah. You cannot have sex with your with your aunt. Okay, what power did ants have in the ancient world? Are, are yeah. there, like, sexy cougar ants that are, like, <laughs> answering the door in their towel? The answer no. is, yeah. Like, no. well, like, in, okay, <laughs> yeah. that's so let's no. imagine in our culture now we have a imagination around, like, milfs and cougars. <laughs> and, like, this is just there, whether you're, uh, you know, active in the church or not. Yeah. That's there. So then you're like, oh, don't sleep with your aunt. People kind of snicker like, oh, who's this hot aunt? Because yeah. we also can understand in our culture ants seducing their nephews. Whereas in the ancient world, we have to look at like who an aunt is, like what kind of agency, what kind of access to safety and security and power she would have. Could she say no if a man in her community showed up at her house while her husband was off at war? Yeah. No. So like immediately when we start unpacking the social location of – the only two characters so far we know in the text, the person yeah. being spoken to and yeah. the aunt, yeah. then you can realize it might not be like two people sneaking off to have It's more like sex. don't sexually assault your aunt. <laughs> so, so that's the cool thing about this whole list. So I'll just read a few of, first of all, this phrase um, to uncover the nakedness of does seem to be an ancient way of like approaching someone for purposes of having sex with them yeah and again you can imagine if the the you is this like powerful man yeah to uncover the nakedness of shows that he has the full agency he is doing the action yeah she is not inviting him in necessarily or consenting he is uncovering a part of her body that he will now use for his pleasure her her role in that is not named here yeah um, so you shall not uncover the nakedness. So the very first first verse in 18, verse 6, it starts off, none of you shall approach anyone near of kin to uncover nakedness. So don't sleep with each other. <clears throat> near of kin, this would be like from the same kinship group. Yeah. And then it goes on to list specifics in case people in community have different interpretations of personhood. Yeah. <laughs> like don't have sex with anyone. Well, of course I would never. I'm only going to have sex with one of my slaves. Yeah, that's still a person. But we don't all agree on that. So first it's like, so so I really appreciate this text. It's like, none of you shall approach anyone. Okay. Then they give the specifics in case it wasn't clear. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father. You shall not uncover the, which then it says, P.S., which is the nakedness of your mother. Uh, You don't uncover the nakedness of your father's wife. So assuming he has other wives, you shall not uncover the nakedness of your sister, either by your dad or by your mom, stepsister, half-sister, whatnot. You can't uncover the nakedness of your son's daughter, oh, grandchildren. It's like you not your aunt, not your niece, not your sister-in-law. stepmom, not your sister-in-law, like not your half-sister, not your sister. You just list all these people. And when you do it like a map of all the different people you don't have to sleep with, these are all really vulnerable people. Mm-hmm. So in a society where, say, the men would all go to war, mm-hmm. the only men still at home are going likely going to be like fairly 
aged mm-hmm. or have other significant disabilities that would prevent them from going to war, or they would still be children and dependent on their mothers. Yeah. So the people left behind are all quite vulnerable. And if anyone is still there, it might be like King David <laughs> or like certain powerful men left behind. And mm-hmm. it would be totally reasonable to imagine that they believed as they're allowed to have sex with whoever I, they want. I'm allowed to go have sex with whoever I want. So, you know, this is what you owe me. And so then it, it seems like these are not rules about specific sexual behaviors. It's rules against sexual violence. It's rules against abuse and uh, coercion sex, obligation sex. It's a profound list of laws against sexual violence. The Bible is about consent. I really I believe that. And what's really cool, um, so there's at the very end here, um, you have uh, you shall not approach a woman to uncover her nakedness while she is menstruating. And then you have, you shall not have sex with one of your neighbor's wives. And then you shall not sacrifice any of your children. It's just thrown in there. And then you will not lie with, and most English says like a man as you would with a woman, which is a whole other thing, which is very interesting. And then you will not have sex with an animal. So you're like, when people read this list at first, they're like, yeah, no, I don't want to have sex with my aunt. Cool, cool, cool. Oh yeah, homosexuality is a sin. Oh, and having sex with my wife while she's menstruating. That's weird. It's like, yeah. It shows how cultures shift in their yeah. understandings of, of purity because I've never in my life heard a sermon in youth group or anything about like, don't have sex with your partner while they're menstruating. Period <laughs> sex, the sermon. <laughs> but interestingly, think about this. If it, uh, There's other laws that say if you have sex with a woman while she's menstruating or come in contact with a, a female body while she's menstruating, mm-hmm. then you are unclean and all these things. So technically, let's say you are this powerful man and you have a wife she's menstruating so for the next like four to seven days you can't have sex with her yeah so in most ancient contexts the patriarch would therefore go and have sex with one of the other people in his household because you can't deny how man his needs okay like there's that sense of like i am the master so he's like don't have sex with any of these people and not with your wife like guess what buddy your wife gets a break like the the menstruation (laughs) thing seems kind of nice if you think about the woman had no agency to ever say no to any kind of sex act, any kind of anything. Yeah. But five days a month, you can't touch her. Those are her best five days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's like, right? this is great. So he might be like, well, if I can't have sex with any of these people, then my wife has to have sex with me. It's like, no. And then the one rate in there, which I love. I mean, it sounds weird that I would love this, but it's the you shall not have sex with a man as you would with a woman. So most translations say, yeah, you shall not have sex with a man as with a woman. And then that's used to like that. That text is obviously weaponized against um, queer people. But the word for male is not the same as the word for man in like every other place in this book. Oh, my gosh. It's it's a word most often used for boy. Mm -hmm. So now imagine like in ancient cultures where female virginity is highly valued, young boys were much more vulnerable to sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. The patriarch could exploit the boy yeah. uh, without affecting the property value of any of his possessions, yes. of which his children, you know. So the young, a young girl who they believed was still a virgin, yeah. a lot of people would agree to like protect her, yes. whereas the boys. So here he's like, even the boys, yeah, any yeah. of them. And then there's that weird rule about like, not do not have sex with an animal even the animals yes literally even the animals like keep it in your, your pants. sexual <laughs> desire is not bad your sexual pleasure is not bad but if the only way you can experience sexual pleasure 
is by harming someone else or compromising someone else's sense of safety and agency, mm -hmm. you are doing something very evil. Yes. And the last thing I'll say, why one of this passage, when read in a responsible way, is really profound to me, is that at the very beginning of the chapter in, in Leviticus 18, it starts off saying, you shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you lived. So this book of Leviticus is written in the context of this vulnerable people group has been enslaved for hundreds of years. So they probably experienced unimaginable sexual violence. They had no yeah. agency over anything. They're in forced yeah. labor. They don't get to choose when they use a toilet or, or eat food or drink or sit down. Oh. So these are not people who are used to having any kind of agency and not used to witnessing the women and children in their community ever having agency. Yeah. So he's like, hey, we got to go into the wilderness mm -hmm. for a generation to unlearn Egypt, yep. just like to unlearn empire, to yep. unlearn capitalism. You know what I mean? Like, like all those <laughs> systems are normal to you. And in your trauma, you might um, be prone to imagine that healing isn't becoming like your former masters. Yeah. So it's like you can never again return to a system like Egypt, whether you're on top or on the bottom. Yeah. The system is a bad system. Yeah. So this is about becoming a people group who can imagine a totally different system where nobody is vulnerable to anybody else's predatory desires. Oh, God. I wish like, you would do that yeah. to capitalism. <laughs> well, well, one day. <laughs> change is going to come. <laughs> There's a lot of mention of sexual immorality in the New Testament. What do the writers of those books specifically mean by sexual immorality? I love that question. Um, I mean, on one hand, it's like, we can never fully know what the writers of the books meant. Yeah. But we can certainly know that they probably don't mean exactly what we first think it means <laughs> because our culture is so radically different. We can draw from the context, I think, some pretty good ideas. Going back to like this Old Testament understanding that sexual violence is bad, mm -hmm. um, even though the Old Testament kind of has that sexual violence is bad, it's still assuming patriarchy in that like the text is only addressed to the men and then it's just like don't hurt the women. Like this, the, the text doesn't even imagine that the women could necessarily like hurt the men or that they could have agent like... So, so there is a system that hasn't been questioned yet by the time you get to the New Testament. Mm -hmm. So by the time you're in the New Testament world, women still don't have agency. And in the New Testament world, which is written by and for folks living under Roman occupation, mm -hmm. so the values of the Roman Empire would be really important to understand before you interpret these texts. Yeah. So when one empire, empire presents the world with an idea of the perfect body. Yes. So say there is one way of being a man and the Roman way of being a man is the most pure and the most virtuous and the strongest and the most divinely blessed way of being a man, okay. including body type, body size, how much body hair, how much body fat, okay. how big your feet are, how big mm -hmm. your other parts are, how much hair is on your head, whether or not you have a beard. Like the Romans yeah. determined this is the pure, virtuous body. Mm -hmm. And because they're a loving and benevolent people, they share the gospel of their virtue and help all the other people in the world assimilate to their way. Yeah. It is interesting to just kind of look into like what is Roman manhood and womanhood? Well, how does how do Roman people understand sex and sexual pleasure? Who gets mm -hmm. it? Who deserves it? Yeah. What not, what not. So you have this word, and the word in Greek is porneia, which is where you get porn or pornography. Ooh. Porneia. And in English we translate that word as sexual immorality. Yeah. But Sexual immorality is an extremely vague and objective, like subjective term. Like, yeah. like it could cover anything. Yeah. It could cover don't have sex with your wife while she's menstruating. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's it's tricky because I think for those of us that grew up in purity culture, we were just taught it means All any sex. single 
sexual thing you do outside of marriage mm-hmm. to your, let's say I'm a cis heterosexual woman, mm-hmm. any sexual thing I do out even to myself in private, <laughs> any single sexual experience I have a pleasure, even if it was I was not consenting, yeah. right? Any kind of experience I have mm-hmm. outside of my marriage to my cisgendered heterosexual husband is evil mm-hmm. or, or immorality. And then any single sexual thing that takes place in that marriage mm-hmm. that he desires yeah. is good. Yeah. yeah. You, if you know, commit sexual immorality, then you are, cannot enter the kingdom. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yikes. That's a <laughs> lot. And that's a huge assumption because in the ancient world, like there's no evidence of that anywhere else in the Bible. Like there's really nowhere in the Bible where it's like, don't have sex until you're married. Yeah, or that's like, what I've always said. Or like, don't masturbate. Yeah. Or like, don't orgasm more than once. Or like, don't like, don't, <laughs> don't have, have this more kind. Than three orgasms like, you just have day. to think. Like, yeah, there's so much I could say about that. But in these New Testament passages, for example, I really believe, and I think a lot of uh, biblical scholars do as well, that these passages are again largely about sexual violence. Yes. So in 1 Timothy chapter 1, the text says, Now we know that the law is good if one uses it legitimately. This means understanding that the law is laid down not for the innocent, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the godless and sinful, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their father or mother. Okay, pause. Mm -hmm. So far you have these very vague terms like the lawless. Mm -hmm. Like you mean like people who do not uphold treaty? No, not those lawless. The ones blocking the highway demanding that treaty be observed. Those oh, lawless, right? Like, yeah. like lawless, subjective. Disobedient, subjective. Yeah. Godless, sinful, subjective. Yeah. But then they get specifics. Those who kill their father or mother. Well, immediately, I'm like, oh, well, yeah. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> don't do that. that seems fair. Or murderers. Yeah. Oh, don't kill anyone. Great. So the first list is murder. Yeah. Then we have fornicators, which is that word pornea. Yeah. So first, worst people in in society are the murderers who kill bodies. Yeah. And then the fornicators. And I'm like, so people who are just like having a nice time (laughs) together, alone, totally consenting adults. (laughs) Having some fellowship (laughs) time. (laughs) No, no. It's like if you imagine like the sexually immoral is like these people in the community committing acts of sexual violence against all of everybody else. Yeah, so it's like, like yeah, that's actually a pretty rapists. bad murder, rape, molesting, yeah, sexual harassment. And then interestingly, this is like kind of a separate question, but the next thing on the list in most English translations is something like sodomites, which is just should not be a word that exists. Yeah. <laughs> it's so bad. But it's just a really awful <coughs> English translation of a word it means probably nothing like that, especially when you consider the list. So the word there for sodomites in in Greek is arsenikoi and it's just a mix of two different words, um, men and bed. Or they had the idea, they're like, oh, men who have sex with other men in a bed. Oh. Well, men could have sex with men in a variety of places. <laughs> so what does the word bed have to do with this? Yeah. Oh, it, oh, yeah. In my purity culture world, I didn't know that people had sex outside of beds. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if my grandparents ever had sex on the kitchen table. You know, like, so you're like male beds. Out. Oh, men who sleep in beds with men. I'm like, Maybe in a wealthy society where there's like these hierarchies of like really wealthy to poor. Yeah. The people who sleep in beds. Yeah. The Roman elite. Yeah. Also the ones raping the the indigenous people, the people they occupy, raping people as a part of war. And and then you're like, okay, well, it can't be that all men who sleep in beds are bad. No, of course not. Look at the list. (laughs) Murderers, fornicators, 
Slave traders is the next yeah. one. Traffickers. Yeah. So maybe someone who kidnaps someone else for sexual exploitation. Yeah. Then you have like liars, perjurers. So th- this is a very detailed list of uh, often like a privileged people who police and RCMP would be more prone to protect, whose yeah. voices would be more represented in court, yeah. more represented in the news and the media we consumed, more, yeah. you know, more represented in all positions of power. And then there are these vulnerable people whose stories are never believed, who don't have access to, you know, my friend's a lawyer and he said I should totally take this to court. Yeah. What? <laughs> who has yeah. a friend that's a lawyer? When like, So this Me. seems to be... <laughs> And, and like the book of Timothy is addressed to a setting where like you can just kind of go through all these layers and realize there is a vulnerable, a very vulnerable group of people mm-hmm. who are who are joining Christianity uh, in its earliest days and slowly maybe more powerful people, Romans, wealthy people join the movement. But they're not used to treating these bodies with respect and, and assuming these people are persons. And so he's like, yo, if this church, if you're if you're a good pastor, you're going to make sure there's nobody in here raping, murdering, lying, stealing, bribing. So it's more like Mm -hmm. taking sexual advantage than having sex. And in the Roman world, like, I don't think, um, I think a lot of conservative Christians in our context think that, like, the world is so bad today compared to the good old days. Like, we're all just (laughs) so, we're all just like these raging perverts. Yeah. Where it's like, well. Girl, (laughs) let me tell you. We're probably, like, about the same or a lot better in terms of our understandings of consent and agency. But in the ancient world, like, the stories of like the Roman emperors going out at night to just rape people yeah. and publicly raping people as an act of domination, like at, at, an, at an event where thousands of people are viewing. The idea that the, the Roman head of the household, like nationally speaking, yeah. can do whatever he wants. It just seems like so important that when you read any one of these words in context, you realize all the other words are about some form of violence or injustice or mm-hmm. predatory mm-hmm using someone else for your own benefit yeah so anything in there that's sexual it's really hard not to imagine that or not to read that as sexual acts of violence that yeah compromise someone else's consent yeah or agency yeah like the so the clobber passage in first corinthians 6 and in thessalonians there's one in romans 1 they're all kind of listed in the same context yeah and it's like hey guys imagine where we couldn't hurt each other sexually anymore <laughs> that would be cool Just wow imagine. and then let's go even further and, like, and imagine Anytime people did have sexual pleasure, it was in a really safe environment and it was celebrated and no, no one was be- like, yeah, it's a beautiful vision of sexual yeah. flourishing. Yeah. So you slightly touched on this. Do the teachings of the Bible forbid sex before marriage for all Christians, regardless of what century they were born in? Why or why not? Mm. Sex before marriage. Okay. So sex before marriage. Okay, so there's so many things you have to define in the question, which is how I approach this pastorally when like parents of like people in their early 20s are like, what do I do? Mm. What do I do? My daughter has a boyfriend and I'm sure they're going to get married, but they spend too much time together. I'm afraid they're going to have sex before marriage. I'm like, First of all, you have to define sex. Like, yeah. Where is it officially sex? Because mm-hmm. I grew up in purity culture where I knew do not have sex till you're married, but no one ever told me specifically where the line yeah. is and what I could do. I think it was like no penal insertion in the vagina before marriage. It's like, but oh, you're okay, like, so oh, hey, fine. youth pastor, like, so can I, can we do blowjobs? He would just be like, no. 
<laughs> no, like it would not be a clear no. It would just be like, please don't make me be like, this. please yeah. don't make me take a stand on blowjobs. True, true story though. Um, John Piper, yes, had uh has maybe I don't know had a podcast for a long time called like Ask Pastor John, where oh people would submit their questions about sex, and so many of them were like, "Is this allowed? Is this allowed?" Mm. And there were questions like, "Is my wife allowed to give me a blowjob in marriage?" And he has to like, well, let's see. And then it's like, is anal sex allowed in marriage between a hetero cisgendered couple? What about like, one guy was like, am I allowed to fondle her breasts? And John Piper's like, well, in Song of Solomon, he says, you know, how beautiful are your breasts? So that means that men are supposed to delight in beautiful breasts, which in means- In marriage, is the woman allowed to peg the man? Oh, we need like to know. there's no, like the, <laughs> the idea of like this social anxiety around what we are and are not allowed to do mm-hmm. often leads- these Christian heterosexual couples into a marriage that is so shame-based and traumatizing already mm-hmm. because while they're dating, it's like, well, maybe we're allowed to kiss. Okay. But then they slowly get, maybe we're allowed to make out and then hands go in pants. And then the next day yeah. he sits her down. He's like, I feel so much shame. The Lord's really convicted me. That was not okay. I think we need to pray together and fast and get back into the word. And then they just kind of like, oh my gosh, yeah. we're monsters. They make it like eight days. No more touching my dong. Okay. But it's like, <laughs> and then it just becomes like, you made me sin or or I sinned and we need to confess. And you like build this kind of relationship with based the idea on, of sex yeah. based on all these shame conversations. And I'm yeah. like, how do we know that we did a bad thing? I feel it in my heart when I'm going to call that the Holy Spirit. God's convicted me that we should not have done that. Like, why? Where did that feeling come from? Yeah. Well, I was told I was never allowed to masturbate ever. So anytime I've ever had an orgasm in my entire yeah. life, I have had a sit down with myself and have a major shame fest talk about yeah. how I'm disgusting and need to try harder. Yeah. <laughs> there are like men's accountability groups, like, like men in their 20s, like like Probably functioning papers. adults that are like, let's hold each other accountable not to masturbate. And I've heard of like guys literally being like, dudes, I just need you to call me or something right now just like to keep my hands busy. Like that's how much pain they're in. That's insane to me. So then you you say, is it a sin to have sex before marriage? I'm like, the big question all of us want to know is what is sex? Yeah. What is the thing we're allowed to do? Yeah. Second of all, marriage in the ancient world. No such thing as 19-year-old Tommy going on a date with <laughs> 17-year-old Sammy. Yeah. And they date for a long time. It slowly builds. And then he goes and asks her dad permission with a with an $8,000 wedding ring. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then the dad's like, oh, sure. Oh, how great. And then Ooh, they spend the great. next six to 12 months planning an $80,000 <laughs> event. Yes. And then they go into this like honeymoon, happy, go have fun. Yeah. The ancient world, this is like 14-year-old girl marrying 55-year-old man. She meets him for the first time at the wedding. She has no say. She has no voice. Yeah. So when you imagine that context, I don't even like don't have sex until you're married. I'm like, don't have, don't, don't get <laughs> married. Don't, just don't do like, that. The church should be married. wildly opposed to that. Again, culturally, they understood the woman is created to carry his sons. Yeah. So the moment she starts menstruating, she's able to carry sons. Therefore, it's God's design that she now starts carrying sons. So now we need to pair her with a pure, noble man who will make pure, noble men populate the world. So like the first wedding that was ever done in a church (coughs) was in the 11th century. Hmm. Weddings and marriage was not ever an interesting like project of the church. Yeah. So this idea of don't have sex until you're married is interesting because I imagine, and I did this as a survey once at a church event. I was like, who here didn't have sex until they were married? And these are like older folks. So it was most hands went up. We didn't have sex. I'm like, cool. 
who here had an orgasm with their spouse before they were married? Every hand went up. What? And I'm like, here's the craziest thing. <laughs> that is sex. So though. many women, like, so if we define sex as an orgasm, so then it has to be more than that. I solo sex with my, if I have sex with myself, yeah. I orgasm. Okay. Yeah, that's how I times. know what's happening. Yeah. Then let's say a shared orgasm with another person mm-hmm. is sex. So you could have a shared orgasm on the phone. You could have a shared orgasm in so many different ways that don't lead potentially to procreation. Mm-hmm. So if we said, okay, that's a sin. You, you, yeah. you can't orgasm. An orgasm is a sin. Like if that's what we're saying. Well, then a sneeze is a sin because a sneeze is one fifteenth well, of an orgasm. People orgasm in their dreams. Yeah, yeah and right. And babies orgasm in the womb. Babies masturbate in the womb. Ba- masturbate to the point of orgasm in a womb. <laughs> Um, and orgasm and ejaculation are not the same thing necessarily. Yeah, no. Often they are, especially for males. But I think this idea of don't have sex until you're married has just caused a lot of harm because the, the thing I really want to say that I think is kind of funny but also sad is I know so many women who if we say sex is a shared orgasm with your male partner as, as a cis woman, yeah. then us married women were having so much more sex before we got married and it was so good. <laughs> And I'm thinking like those women who would just like do like the like, you know, fully clothed on the couch, just kind of rubbing up against each other. Yeah. And you guys wouldn't even talk about the fact that you both orgasmed or whatnot. Like you were just finding ways without talking about it to experience all kinds of physical pleasure. And because you can't have that one sex act, you're you're exploring all sorts of other sensations, even just holding hands in the movie theater where you're like full on hand massaging each other. It's like the most amazing physical feeling. Like, (laughs) oh, my gosh, my hand is like. Because you hand. just can't, you can't get enough. So you're like, wow, we had all these experiences physically together where you, we, there was tenderness and gentleness and it was exciting and erotic and sensual. Then we got married and it's like, lay down, <laughs> stare at the ceiling <laughs> until he's done because he has needs. And the profound and traumatic and tragic thing about so many female bodies is how we've evolved to yeah. have so few nerve endings in our vagina. Yeah. Because we come from a long ancient history of women who's, laid there and looked at the ceiling because men have needs. Yeah. And it's like, what about my needs? So imagine being a, a, a religious leader who shapes a generation to believe that her staring at the ceiling until he's done is godly. Oh, God. I don't know. I, I, I heard a comedian. What's her name? She's coming to Calgary this week. She's hilarious. She's Christian, like top post-Christian blonde hair. Oh, Taylor Tomlinson. Taylor Thomas. Kate. Taylor Tomlinson has had this bit about like, I, I'm going to raise my daughters to be Christian and not have premarital sex. Yeah. Because something about like when I was a teenager and I wasn't having premarital sex, I was coming. Yeah. But my friends who were having premarital sex weren't. Yeah. Because the young, like, because, because that's the other side of this is I would never want to be like, no, the Bible doesn't say you have to wait till marriage. You can have sex whenever you want. Then like this 16 year old girl, she, she hasn't worked through her own body shame, yeah. body image. She's still deeply yeah. ashamed of her body. She thinks it looks, smells and tastes disgusting. Yeah. She's like, oh, yeah, I can have sex. Perfect. Because my bi- my boyfriend, Tommy, will be stoked. And then she just goes immediately wherever they can go in the car or in the baseball mm-hmm. dugout or whatever mm-hmm. and stares at the ceiling until he's done. Yeah, no. So I'm like, no, 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 no. The point of this isn't like take all this cultural baggage we have around sex and purity and then go do it. Like, no. Like, I would say the biblical vision is that you would love your own body so much in Genesis, it talks about being naked and unashamed, like fully unashamed yeah. of your naked body. Yep. And I'm not talking the body that has been waxed and shaved and dieted and bleached and just, just like harmed her whole life. You know, I mean, the natural body mm-hmm. 
feel fully unashamed and you feel fully present to all of your body's cues. Like I'm hungry, I'm tired, I want more of this, I want less of this. And you yeah. learn how to connect and trust all that. Yeah. And you bring that into an intimate experience with another person who's done that same work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that is such a profound vision. Do I think two 15 year olds could achieve that? I, I don't. <laughs> No. But I think there's a lot of 55-year-old church leaders who've never experienced that either. Yeah. So I don't think it helps to say, like, these are the things you can do and these are the things you can't do. I think you pitch the vision of, like, a beautiful sexual experience. And I don't necessarily mean, like, that emotional, an experience that really honors your body and the other person's body. You might suddenly realize, like, oh, yeah, I'm not ready for that right now. Or mm. I got, I'm working through some stuff in therapy right now. I'm not sure I can... Love, stay present to loving my own body while I'm naked with you right now. So we can't yeah. actually be doing this. Yeah. I could easily just stare at the ceiling till you're done, but that would not be <laughs> the Christian thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> what does the Bible actually teach about sexual purity? And I feel like you've kind of touched on this already. Mm-hmm. So take her away. I w- the only thing I, I want to say, I think, for this conversation is that <clears throat> in the ancient world, <clears throat> they did not understand how procreation worked. Like, mm-hmm. we know that there's a sperm and an egg and ovary releases the egg at yeah. this time. Like, we understand how that works yeah. and, like, the, the DNA is 50%. Of yeah, yeah, yeah. The ancient world, like, we've only known no. that since, like, the late 1800s. Oh, yeah. So you like read Outlander? They, oh. like, didn't know that until a certain point in the Outlander series. Yeah. In, in the Bible. <laughs> in the, so when you have, like, things about sex and purity in the Bible, we realize that they didn't know how it works. So mm-hmm. it seems that they believed that whatever the... So, so we know that they believed that the life of the child is entirely in the male body. Because something leaves his body, goes into her body, and then a baby comes out. Yeah. So the idea is the bi- the baby was in his body, and then it went into her body, and then grew like a seed going into the soil. Mm. Of course. So, But the confusing thing in the ancient world would be like, how come sometimes the baby looks like mom? Because mm. yeah. the mom, like, oh, well, the theory is whatever the man was looking at during oh. sex or at the moment of ejaculation is what the baby would look like. And there's a story in Genesis where Jacob is trying to trick his father-in-law into giving him a, a huge amount of goats and sheep and yeah. livestock. Yeah. And he's like, can I please have the speckled and spotted ones? He's like, yeah, sure, because there's only a few. Yeah. But then he takes all of the sheep and goats out to the, you know, the field where they're going to mate. And he gets all these logs and peels them so that they're all striped. And he does this huge thing and he lays out these logs and these stones. Mm-hmm. And then it says when the rams mount the sheep yeah all the sheep came out striped and spotted so then it's crazy because you have like um these uh forced surrogacy stories in the bible like abraham raping and impregnating hagar yeah and the idea that you wouldn't want the baby to look like hagar so the handmaid's tale depiction of like the woman being held down and the the wife is there the idea would be yes he needs to look at his wife while he impregnates the enslaved woman yeah so that the baby would look like the wife. Yeah. So you think there's a lot of anxiety in the ancient world about where babies come from. Yeah. You don't believe the woman contributes whatsoever. So often in the Bible, you'd have, say, a man does a really evil, bad thing. Yeah. So we believe, therefore, he is like innately bad and evil. Therefore, anything that comes out of his body is evil. So yeah. any of his seed is evil. So if a man does something bad, you have to kill his wife and children. Not because we hate the wife and children. We don't frankly value them in this patriarchal yeah. society. But the wife them. could be pregnant with his seed. We don't know. They didn't know that it was like 40 weeks later. Yeah. yeah. She could have had sex with me a year ago and now she's pregnant. Like, like you can just imagine they went fully no. Yeah. 
So you have to kill his children because the evil seed is in the children, especially, yeah. uh, or the boys at least. Yeah. And the evil seed could be in the wife's body still. Yeah. So with all this anxiety around evil, to make things even wilder, yes. a lot of Christians don't know this, nowhere in the Bible does it tell you where demons come from. Yeah. Except, check this out. In Genesis 6, there's this really weird story where these angelic divine beings come down and have sex with women. And then the women give birth to these monstrous beings. And in other extra biblical books of the Bible, like Jubilees, like apocryphal texts, there's all these stories about how when these bad angels come down and, and have sex with human women, the they give birth to demons. Yeah. So demons come from female bodies who've had mystery sex. That Like, like <laughs> where did this baby come from? That sex is probably wild. And they believe, to make this wilder, that body hair had something to do with fertility. Okay. And you think about it, you, you live in an ancient pre-scientific, or I should say pre-colonial scientific era. When you become sexually mature, you start growing body hair down in your genitals. You get darker hair in your legs, your armpits. Mm -hmm. But biological males will get also hair on their face. And then a little later, the hair on their head often thins. Yeah. So they're like, somehow hair correlates to fertility and sex. Okay. So then they created this theory that semen resides in the man's brain. <laughs> Okay. Then when he reaches sexual maturity, he loses the hair on his head and the hair starts growing thickly below his neck and really thick in his groin because the hair is like a vacuum that's pulling the semen down from his brain into his loins. Now, if he is unable to get an erection or unable to ejaculate, they believe there must be a blockage in this channel from your brain to your scrotum. Okay, sure. Women do not get the dark hair as much. They only kind of get it in this pubic region and they don't get as much on their face or their chest. And women, apparently, you know, they don't lose their hair as much. Like, there, there are all these trends around body hair. So they believe that the woman's brain, so it's the opposite of the man. The man's brain has semen that travels down to his penis. Her vagina has to pull the man's semen, once it goes into her vagina, up towards her brain. And before it gets to her brain, it will get stuck in her womb and become a child. Okay. And so... And that's how babies are made. Like, so if a, woman, if a woman has really long hair, she's extremely fertile, so yeah. fertile mm -hmm. that she might seduce an angel from heaven <laughs> to fall from the sky and come and have sex with her, whether she even knows it's happening or not. So she births a demon. In Corinthians, there is a, a verse written by Paul where he says, and women must have their heads covered because of the angels. Yeah. In the Bible. It's like, that is what they believe. So I think about purity culture it's like the purity they're concerned about is not our women having multiple orgasms yeah the purity is is the seed of the man who is ejaculating in her a good seed and if not that's a huge concern yeah or is it a demon that's a huge concern <laughs> yeah. so what if we say she's not allowed to ever have her hair uncovered She's not allowed out of her house without a trusted male. Yeah. And she's only having sex with this one man and we can guarantee that. And if anything threatens that, we just kill her and the men she might be sleeping with. Like, and it's, it's a symptom of an extremely anxious system around evil. Superstitious. Suffering. It yeah. is. Yeah. And I think in our culture, we have our own purity laws that might not even be based on these at all. Based on our own collective anxieties about. Yeah climate change or, or mental health or anxieties about all sorts of things. And so we've created our own set of rules that will not make any sense 100 years from now. Yeah. You know, yeah. the last thing I would just then to wrap that all up is say like the Bible pitches this really beautiful vision of sexual flourishing, I think, where 
your body is the yeah, conduit. Yeah. And it's, it's an intimacy. And then I wish maybe it's another episode, but you could take that conversation into like polyamory. Cause I also don't. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just dot, dot, dot. Thanks for coming on our podcast, Nikayla. We'll do a sequel and then you'll come back. Yeah. Thanks again. That was really cool. I learned a lot today. That concludes our episode. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. Tune in next week to hear us talk about being trans. Not specifically, but you know what I mean. Bye.